so Olivia is in America right now. I'm in America <laughs> right now. You're on, I'm in America. You're on a. You're gallivanting through Florida. You're back in in the nation. That's funny. You said you're back, and I, I was having back issues. <laughs> so and everything. So everybody's asking me about my back, and they're, and they're all also in the same sentence asking me, "Are you back? How about your back?" So it's very, like confusing. very confusing conversations. Yeah, it's just very strange. I'm gonna make it, I'll be making a lot of weird noises as I try to adjust in this uh, this bed like manner. It's not a manner. It's a hotel room. But <laughs> so you see what I mean? Well, I have a topic for this week. Yes. And and this topic was inspired by by my first week in Florida. So I went to Front End Conf. Um, Notable absent uh, from this conference was a certain Anthony Colangelo. Yeah, I didn't know uh, this was the last one. It is so far, as so we know. Far. It's the last one in in St. Petersburg. There's one slated oh. for the end of the the month of August, I think, in Portland. This August? Or Oregon. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Is this the this first August. year he's doing one out there? Yeah. He, I don't know if, uh, if Dan, I guess we could ask him. I can ask him directly. But um, so, so Dan, we're talking about Dan Denny, the organizer of uh, Front End Design Conference in St. Petersburg, St. Petersburg, Florida, which has been consistently one of the better design conferences I've I've been to ever since I've started going there. What four months, four years ago, four, four months, months ago? ago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a really great conference with a lot of heart, which is a really great thing. I love that. Yeah. So, anyway, the um, the conference was uh, was again great. A lot of variety in the speakers, but there was one um, one particular. Uh, topic that uh, is very uh, dear to my heart in in that topic was uh, opened on by Elise Halliday I think her last name is uh, she's a great speaker from Austin Texas and she talks about not having any idea what you're doing which I think most people in our in our industry can can relate to I don't know I feel like unless Yes, I, I don't say maybe that's not the case. Is it is it the case for you? Like, do you have moments where you just completely have no idea what you're doing? I feel like it needs to be said. Uh, yes, there are definitely <laughs> moments when I have no idea what I'm doing. But there's are also there the moments when I think I have no idea what I'm doing, but I actually do. Right. So there's and two sides, it, and I'm sure that one, that that's something you brought up. You always talk about imposter syndrome. So I feel like we'll right. get there eventually. Right. So I feel like this is a very important subtopic, but what you just said is also very important is that um, through a weird mix of humility and maybe perhaps um, uh, lack of self-confidence, a lot of people convince themselves. Yeah, you're going to have to. So I'm going to make that professional remark about the fact that Anthony's taking notes because I literally can't type right now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm I'm, I'm in a literal spa. (laughs) <laughs> I'm in a spa <laughs> laying down. There's no masseuse. I like to point that out. But yeah, you're gonna have to be the note taker. Yeah, we'll probably compile the show notes later. Yeah. Um, meaning over complexity. Uh, just don't, don't worry about it. We'll get there. <laughs> okay, I'll take <laughs> about it. The the so so Elise was talking about um, basically all these instances in her life as a developer, front end developer, I believe, uh, where she had to uh, she had to overcome this feeling of just having no clue what she was doing either when she i think her one of her, my favorite examples were was her first professional speaking gig uh where uh, she had to speak in front of a large crowd at a at a local meetup 
uh, within which um, there were two ex-boyfriends and one current boyfriend and a boss of hers, like her current boss, I think. If I, I may be misremembering, but that's basically the gist. And I think that's sufficient to say your boss in the, is in the audience kind of gauging, okay, are you completely full of it? Why did I hire you? Your current boyfriend is trying to support you, but also bringing a lot of tension and you know pressure. And then two people you used to have important relationships with, I'm guessing, are also there in the audience, potentially waiting for you to just trip and fall and giggle. Um, so that's a lot of... She basically had the, the worst possible beginning uh, of a public speaking engagement anybody could have. And she survived. And she was not fine when it was happening, but she was very fine when it was done. And I feel like... A lot of people who are be, uh, beginners in our industry, uh, and I don't just mean the people who just graduated and are just getting a job. Beginners to me is the first, I maybe the first five years, depending on how comfortable you are and how often you switch jobs. Um, you feel like a beginner. I don't know. Is that is that something that you feel around you is a reasonable expectation that within the first, I'd say, three to five years, it's completely fine to not feel like you know what's going on. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I feel like there's, there are, I don't know if it's a, a three to five years within your beginning of your career thing. Like, I, I, I feel like you're a beginner all the time if you're learning right. something new, no matter how Thanks. long you've been in an industry. I was trying to set a number so you could just, you know, go above. No, me. no, I mean, yeah. I like that, but right. I feel like there are times when you learn something new and you get thrust back into being a beginner completely. Exactly. And it's it's humbling in certain contexts if you don't try to keep in contact with your beginner self. Right. And, and I, I feel like this thing... So I, I feel like we've talked about this before mm-hmm. where we always try to remember what it was like being a beginner because right. it will always make us be a good teacher. Like if you can Thanks. remember how to truly be a beginner... And not just be a beginner in that you don't know syntax or you don't know this or that, but like truly being a beginner in that you don't have anything to hold on to. Like you don't, you don't, you don't know have a reference. You don't know. Yeah. And You're I missing I was references. talking about this a couple months ago <clears throat> in that I I distinctly remember way back when when I went to we we bring up full sale every time but maybe it's just because we <laughs> yeah, both went there but when I yeah. when I went to school I didn't know any programming at all mm-hmm. That's and I remember impressive. my yeah. first uh, the first programming course we had with Sean mm-hmm. Bernath mm-hmm. Uh, it was in it was in ActionScript which is a great language to learn and we can talk about the platform it was on mm-hmm. in a separate yeah, conversation yeah. but the language <laughs> itself was great um, because it was so strict but <clears throat> I remember the first day he was talking about data types and was teaching us about strings and booleans and numbers and all that was great. And I was understanding that, but mm-hmm. he got to a raise and yeah. was beginning to talk about what an array was and showing me like, you know, or not just me, there were seven of us, but showing <laughs> us how to like put booleans and variables and whatever you want in an array and do something with it. Mm-hmm. And I distinctly remember sitting there and watching him type away on the screen and thinking, why would I ever need a do collection this. of things that I just made? Like, I just made these three things, and I know they exist. Why do I need them in a, in a thing together? Like, yeah. I don't know what I'm ever going to do with this thing. 
mm-hmm. and like I, I distinctly remember sitting there and just being completely confused by the fact that an array exists and it's useful somehow, and I was certain that I would never use an array. This this very feeling is one of the most important things to try to put a bookmark on when you learn uh, a programming language or when you yeah later on because the confusion is never what you expect it it's not okay the syntax is hard to understand you're not going to remember this uh the order of operations weird like things no the very reason why you would even need such a thing is confusing right and and in many cases this feeling happens later on let's say you discover a new framework like why would i ever do this this use case is foreign to me this this syntax what what who designed this and why why is it like this but this is i mean the syntax is one problem the conceptual i love that i love that you had see i had a little bit of programming experience and i don't think at the time i had a vague idea and i remember when the word array was foreign to me because it's not even my language right in french i don't even know how you say array. <laughs> that's true and i never thought about that if I come back to France and I try to have a presentation about arrays, I'll be, oh, well, I guess that's how you say array. But I didn't know. The other very annoying problem in these situations when you don't know what you're doing or you just discover what you're doing is the jargon around. And I'm a huge, I hate jargon with a fiery passion because it's, it's in, essentially it's the most alienating, alienating thing you can possibly use against beginners it's basically throw jargon at them and if you explain the jargon before you explain the concept and why you would need the concept which is very difficult to do as, as a teacher because that means a huge amount of empathy you have to start suddenly as you the teacher put yourself in the blank state of anthony and, and knowing that in the same room there might be somebody else who already knows about arrays and will think you take them for an idiot if you try to say well okay We've instantiated... Oh, what does that even mean? Okay, we've created... Okay, we've created three objects. What are objects? Don't worry about them. Don't worry about that. Just We've created three three things because we can't. And we want to hold on to them because we might get 30 more. Okay? What would we use to remember this? And most people would say a list, right? And so we'd say, okay, so the way we describe a list in programming is an array. You make a little structure with a bracket, and then you put, you comma separate everything that you want to hold on to. And that is so much work to explain such a simple concept that, um, yeah, it's fascinating to me that you brought this example because there are so many things like that when you're learning that seem un- completely unattainable at first. Yeah, and I feel like if you remember a moment like that, like if you remember yes. distinctly wondering why you would ever use an array and then you know five years later you're every other line of code you write is an array like <laughs> dealing with an array it's yeah. it's funny to think about and it's like oh yeah that was yeah. that was weird when i didn't know that but it's very I, I don't know it's it's grounding in in both the good and bad times like when you're writing code and everything's breaking and everything's going wrong you can step back and be like remember that one time i didn't know what an array was or why i would use it or, yeah. you know, conversely, when you're the best programmer in the world and everything's going well, you can be like, one time I didn't know how to use an array, so and that I feel pretty good. And people won't believe you. People will look at you and say, no, this is bullshit. Right. This like, is not true. That, that's, it seems unbelievable, but really it was just, right. it's like a mindset shift at that point. And yeah. there's a, it's not like 
the beginner mindset is a bad thing, but there is a mindset of a beginner in that, like, you don't have these simple concepts to hold on to. Like you were saying, jargon, you know, that's like, understanding jargon is just being able to hold on to concepts that are already within the realm that you're trying to learn. But if you don't have that at all, if you don't have, like, a foot in the door to what you're trying Mm -hmm. to learn, and you have no connection to anything, it's infinitely harder to understand the concepts, you know? And yeah, remembering that is, is huge to teaching anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, w- w- the the other thing that really bothers me about jargon is as soon as you've explained, to me there are useful shortcuts in the cases when they're specific, semantically pure, specific jargon can be useful. The problem is that the word jargon itself is has a negative connotation in my head, and I think not just mine. In the sense that jargon generally is not, uh, it's like, um, uh, I'm sure you've heard of this. um, What is uh, a group of pedants? How do you describe, you know how a murder of of crows, like a a crow and a murder of crow? So a group of uh, pedants is, uh, uh, it's too bad. I think that was in one of the slides from uh, from someone's (laughs) talk at front end. I'm trying to remember it. I think it's (laughs) described as a, as a so uh something like that like one of those uh one of those really you know uh van hoot examples of people going well um actually i think it's a so it's a well actually that's how you describe a group of penance a well actually <laughs> well actually um that's not exactly how you describe it um you know so to me this is an example like generally jargon doesn't fly solo it's just a, a horde of horrible technical terms or useful technical terms that are just thrown thrown together in, together in a group of just ugh, confusing words. Uh, one one simple example, the the best I can find is parameter, argument, and what's the third one? There's a third one. Find me the third one. Help me. <laughs> I need your help. I'm, I'm very confused by what what you're talking about. Well. I mean, I know what you're talking uh, about. But there you go. Variable. That's basically it. Variable parameter argument. Oh, oh, okay. The three things describe the same thing. Same exact thing, but different use case. And they mean different things semantically to us only because we understand that. We understand the context in which they are defined. And that's a very important thing. As a beginner, the context is something that is completely foreign to you. And trying to define a word with regards to a concept is a stupid thing to do with a beginner. This is a container. That's all you should care about. When you, when you, you, exactly as the array example you use, why would you ever know why this should be called differently as a parameter? I think the worst example is the is the um, is the parameter one because an argument it's something you use in a specific. It's clear you you call something and you pass an argument, but the parameter is this weird thing of this. It's the same thing. In this, in the mindset of when you're defining a method or defining a function, then you call that thing a different name, and it only becomes a real thing when it it is receiving something, which is so hard conceptually to put in your mind. I remember struggling to understand how how is something now suddenly in this box called the parameter? How like I know I called it, but how does it? What decides that the data? become like just ends up from the variable that used to be in this one 
just I remember how uh, how upset I was at this, and I also remember very very f- uh, clearly in I think 2010 driving around Orlando towards towards our school towards Full Cell, listening to a podcast called the I think it was the Ruby on Rails podcast, and hearing about controllers for the first time. And the, the the first time someone mentioned this, and I think that's the common I mean common common idiom in the web framework world is having a controller to receive basically web requests and route them uh, or route them towards uh, some specific behavior i guess that's a a bad example but basically i heard about this on on this podcast and i i i remember precisely thinking to myself i will never understand this this is just up this way i will I, i think this is not for me and here i am uh what three years later 2011 10 or five years later no i'm just terrible at math see that's another <laughs> I, I guess we're both tired let's see what, so it's yeah it's 2014 so yeah it's four years later the and i that's what i do every day every day i work it's basically like as as merlin man eloquently says in his podcast i just i just i get controllers here and there i just buy them i just make them i just uh <laughs> <laughs> buy them for wholesale but that's what i do i make controllers i make them go somewhere and do something and that's and to come back to what you're saying finally this is a very useful device when you don't know what you're doing use your time machine go back a month two months six months a year ago and remember how much more you didn't know and i feel like that you take that for granted sometimes because you don't mm-hmm. step back to think about that or you've like i guess you see the advances that you've made in certain areas as like one big advancement rather than a tiny a bunch of tiny little steps mm-hmm. and that's yep. that's like destructive in that you you lose your connection to people that are trying to get into things yeah and i feel like the best um thing that i've read about this is something that Don Casey wrote. I put the link in the show notes. Mm-hmm. She wrote a post called Things Developers Say. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember this from a couple... It was. I think I've it seen was this, yeah. about a month ago that she posted this. But she talks about um, how she learned development, but she basically like chronicles all the things that developers say and explains mm-hmm. like, you know, from that side, from learning development from no you know from almost no knowledge of development into i guess 7 months into her into her path or whatever mm-hmm. she explains how it was to be a beginner and she has a sentence wow. early on that i just love she said i'm frustrated because they can't explain whatever it is i don't understand mostly because i don't understand exactly what it is that i'm not understanding and it's yes. like very confusing to think about that but that's the mm-hmm. point is that yeah I don't understand what you're trying to explain to me because I don't understand what I don't understand about this. Like you're not helping me understand what I don't understand yep. to help you're me understand useful. what you're trying to make me understand. Well, there's, there's a, an awesome tie into that in, in that the fact that um, um, Tim Van Dame, who we both, I think both saw at the future web design conference in New York city had a, a really interesting talk where he talked about this, this, not the pyramid of skills acquisition that everybody and their brothers like use in every talk to try to explain the problem with expert and, and novice and all that stuff. But basically, he was talking about a mountain, and I love that 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 metaphor. If you are a beginner, you're at the bottom. You're not even at the bottom of the mountain. You're across the river from the mountain. 
and you're on a plane and you see the mountain far off in the distance and the people treading at the top of the mountain seem like superheroes and gods and to get to the mountain you have to jump you have to swim you have to just crawl just to get to the bottom and that's when you get to be a beginner you're actually doing you're starting to climb slowly just to get to that but just to get to that is so hard even and then the people to help you the best equipped to help you are not the people at the top of the mountain these people are super tired they're <laughs> they have minimum minimal oxygen intake and they are they're in another sphere a stratosphere <laughs> and they're they're completely disconnected by then with the struggles that you had going through the river to them this is just like nothing it looks like a flat there's nothing there from their perspective it's it's like legoland it's just everything's just tiny uh that that is a terrible way to describe that but yeah when you take off from a plane you see everybody looks like tiny legos um this is what i meant and the people most uh most useful to you are not these people that as she says quite well cannot explain to you what you don't understand it's the people right directly in front of you at the middle of the mountain the people who are still climbing who are still struggling but have accomplished the beginning of the the journey and those are and i love how tim visualized that basically um when you're not yet an expert you are most useful to beginners because you still understand their struggles and the best people to help you are the people ahead of you so the the experts or the advanced uh, learners um, and basically you can't jump steps you can't ask for the person at the end of the road it, or at least it varied it requires a, this person to have an extreme empathy that is very very rare in in every domain i think um yeah i don't know what you think about that i think well i, I guess it's it's the thing where you have to understand what frame of reference the person that you're teaching has. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to think that there's this like base level understanding that people have in our realm. But I, I'm going back to the things developers say post mm-hmm. and like trying to trying to explain the fact that there is no frame of reference for people. She mm-hmm. tosses out some examples that are you know applicable yes. to everybody. And she yes. says Explain to a blind person what the color blue looks like. I love that. And that's like, okay. It, it's well, I need to go stopping. all the way back to like explain sight. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's that basic level where if you said explain the color blue, somebody would start from a basic understanding that you are sighted. But mm-hmm. if you say explain to a blind person what the color blue looks like, you have to go all the way back to the beginning. And that's the that's the shift that you need to like keep in your mind that you're not you're not starting to explain a concept in programming from somebody who has a base level of understanding you're starting from like ground zero i love i love that you just said that because it it reminds me of a more even more uh better example that um that comes from carl sagan so i don't know if you know you know much i know i'm sure you do i do Uh, he has his my favorite quote i think among many great quotes of Carl Sagan, if you want to make, if you want to create, uh, if you want to create an apple pie from scratch, first you must invent the universe, <laughs> and, and that that's great because it's exactly that. It's, you will always make assumptions about what exists and what is known 
to the spe- the people who are around you. For him, it was specifically, if you really want to truly cover everything, first let's go through the creation of the universe, and that's one of those things is that you'll always, and this is something we struggle with uh, where I work at Code School is that we have to always just shoot down assumptions and that's actually one of the most time consuming things we have to do is that okay what are we what are we forgetting we already know that most people may not know yeah and i guess really what we're just getting at is like don't assume everyone has the same base knowledge as you or the base understanding or i guess you know like viewpoint on things Mm-hmm. And this is where that meaning over complexity post that I put into the Google Docs. This was a mm-hmm. thing I wrote on Cognition, Happy Cog's blog. Uh, when was this? May 22nd. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was about, I had done two talks right before I wrote this. And um, one was at Jersey Shore Tech, an event over in Jersey um, where, you know, it's just kind of programmers, design, all that kind of stuff. Um, I did one talk there on design patterns in JavaScript, and I I did a talk at PeersConf, um, which is kind of like a PHP-based conference for developers and the business of running shops kind of stuff. Um, I did a talk there about the work that I and HappyCog did on the MTV project, the O Music Awards that we work with. Yep, last year. And um, both of these times when I was preparing these talks... About a week before the event, I started getting this overwhelming feeling of like, man, this this talk seems too simple to be sharing. Like, is is anyone going to enjoy this? Because it seems extremely simple to me. And mm-hmm. I kind of got like super anxious about it because I, I, I didn't want to go there and be like doing this talk stage. and everyone being like, well, this is kind of lame that I'm here. About. Yeah, like who's this yeah. guy? Why is he telling me about objects yeah. in JavaScript That's- or whatever? That's how it starts. Right. And and I, you know, have that, that feeling of anxiety for like a week before it. And, you know, the talks went great and everyone went pretty well and people loved it and got a lot of good comments. And um, nobody came up to me and told me was, I was an idiot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I had, I had a few people come up and tell me they really liked it and they got something out of it and it helped them out with something of their work, which is awesome. You know, that's what you want it, when you it's talk a huge to deal. people. And yeah. it's it made me realize like it doesn't have to be complex to be meaningful. You know, like Ex- your oh. viewpoint on something, how you approach something, whether it is just that, whether it is like literally your workflow, how you approach it or how you solve a problem, you know, how you approach a problem, that stuff is, is meaningful to everyone, even though it's not complex. Like my solution for JavaScript better. is not super complex, but my approach is helpful for people to see. And I feel like this was, we talked about Brent Simmons' uh, blog in essential.com. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, what was that, last week or two weeks yep. ago? That was last week. And his blog is is not him telling you how to make things. It's him writing out his thought process. Yeah. And you get, a, you get a, a view into how his brain works and how he solves problems. And that's, it's not complex because he's not talking about super technical details of how he implemented thing a or thing b but it's how he solves problems and how he approaches problems and that's meaningful no matter how complex you know if you're a beginner or an expert you're going to get something out of the fact that he's explaining how he approaches something i i love that we have this thread going on in every one of these shows is that we we keep kind of like threading these these concepts 
through, this one is, I think, one of the most important ones. And that is that if you were to do a talk on the module pattern and Douglas Crockford was in the audience, I guarantee you he would take something out of it. Yeah, I am and convinced. It's true because you have you have some little like nugget of a thing that you do a certain way or a way that you've used it that's that he hasn't because he hasn't solved the problems you've solved or you have different right. problems to solve and something about your approach is going to be a little different and that will be interesting no matter who you are. Right. And the very way that he that he originally conceived of it has now been transferred to you through so many points of views and mindsets. It's like it's like I don't know how you guys call it, but like it's uh, um, it's just been distorted, but not necessarily in a bad way. It's been added to and removed from. It's been changed. It's been improved. It's been it's been tainted by your experience. And maybe there's something in there that he will find he himself never have ever thought of, and. Uh, like a use case for it that you might have found or something like that. I think it's it's just fascinating as a remedy to this because you're you're explaining a symptom. Um, the symptom being uh, I, the fear of that and the realization. I feel like, do you have any tips for people who are going through this before the talk? Because here's the problem is that the, this advice is great. Uh, not only the advice, but the, the feedback is knowing that, that people didn't boo you off stage is nice <laughs> to hear when you're a beginner and you know, you, you're about to make a speech or you're about to, you know, write an article and you know that it will be written on the, uh, uh, you know, in, indelible. I don't even know if that's a word in English, but in the unraceable ink of the internet. Um, what kind of tips would you have before? Like, how how do you manage that fear? I have one, but I I would like you to start first. Yeah, I mean, I guess so. For talk specifically, um, I think I even started that article saying how like writing is is a whole nother thing because you don't really when you write something, you don't have the audience staring you in the face. You don't get to mm -hmm. see their like raw reaction. So no feedback, right? But speaking is like that much more. Uh, intense because you're you're standing in front of a room full of people that you're going to see their instant reaction so there's it's you're more susceptible to like worrying about it i guess mm -hmm. but you know i haven't done a ton of speaking but just the few things that I've, i've done a lot of local events and like some big conferences and stuff but nobody is going to that hoping that you suck yes you know like people want to go there and they want to see awesome talks they're predisposed to liking you because they've sought out this opportunity to go hear people talk about things and they're not gonna sit there and count the number of ways that you're stupid or that you failed or that your code sucks but they're gonna look for that one or two bits of info that they can take and use in their own work like they're they're searching for that in their talk they're focused on finding that stuff and i don't think anyone sits down to listen to somebody talk and say a hundred percent of what this person's about to say will change my work entirely. Like nobody does that. Right. Everyone and goes, he, okay, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to probably pick up a thing or two and that will be awesome. That'll be worth right. the price of admission. I'd like to add two things to that. One, if someone does that in the audience, not, not expect you to be all knowing and all powerful and just dump every information you've ever had. And it'll all be illuminating because I mean, maybe it happens, but I'm, it's rarely ever happened. I think maybe Brett Victor can do that. <laughs> But that's, that's about it. everything you say. And then he'll look at you and say, this is not new. This is stuff I know from like 30 years ago <laughs> that I've read in a book. How, how, how dare you think I'm amazing? But the, 
No, the the people who think that uh, you make mistakes and they laugh at that, fuck those people. Just fuck them. Th- these people don't matter. They're nothing. They're they're just just little bits of noise that you'll ignore because that's exactly what they are and they're so few and far between. Yeah, they spent right. money to troll. Right. Like they could do that for free on the internet. Exactly. And they Where's spend the other... money. So it's right. it's who's the joke on? I don't know. Nobody, because we're not going to talk about them anymore. <laughs> but the, the 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 interesting thing is when you do fuck up, and I've seen that happen over and over again. When people say either mistake, they say a mistake. This is something that's wrong. Uh, nobody's going to scream at you on stage. They'll come correct you, cor- correct you privately afterwards. They'll say, "Oh, I really like what you said there, but this part though, I kind of disagreed." And there you you'll establish a conversation, and and you'll you'll be so thankful. Uh, for these people to exist because next time you t- you give that talk because by the way talks are given over and over again it's not a one time it's over deal it happens um, they'll, you'll have better information because someone in the community will have participated in the dialogue with you to improve what you said and to help others learn better the next time around um, so yeah it's not nobody and when you do screw up and there's like I don't know a technical problem or something something just you, you screwed it up People look at you, and you will see this. I remember this feeling from seeing people kind of struggle. Is I'm yearning for you to succeed. Everybody in the room is just in, like they're all just praying for you to get it and win. And generally, people go through with it because they can feel that positive energy in a room. They just they feel the attention, the eyes, kind of like the 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 kindness, not just like fail, fail, fail 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 no nobody's nobody thinks like that in a, in a room like this as you said because they came for a reason yeah and i guess that's it depends on what kind of event it is but even if people are there and it's a free event they're taking like their time out to do this so it's not mm-hmm. there there's hardly a situation when there's anyone in that room that isn't trying to get something out of it and again like nobody's trying to nobody's thinking that 100% of what you're going to say is totally relevant to them and their work and and it's going to be life-changing like that's it's an unrealistic expectation that will never be met by even the best speaker yep it it's interesting to me that you talked about also the um basically the discovery i'm trying to tie this in with uh with this thing that i wrote myself when i was going through the same problem basically when i was starting to write um uh, speeches or talks um i think the first talk i've ever given was at full cell actually and it was about um i came back on the invitation of one of my favorite teacher uh edward almeida um and who was our final project i think uh teacher or instructor and he invited me over to give some insight because i had been in the industry i think for six months or eight months uh, to our th- th- a new a new class of soon to be graduating students to talk about just how is it for you uh, after graduation how does it work how do you find a job how do you look for a job things like that and I remember thinking I don't I don't really know I mean it, it worked for me what is it going to be useful and I remember I think Ed um, told me just, yes it's going to be valuable it's it, you're not an accident. <laughs> It's just something like that. I think he said something like that. And then and then just thinking about it, it's like, whatever they get out of it, this is at least one thing that I've learned. And that, that may apply to one of... If it applies to one of the people in the room, I've won. If it saves 
embarrassment, pain, suffering, whatever, to one of these people. So it's just this talk was just basically, hey, this is what I did. Have you even considered what I what I've done? And most of the people in the room gave me crazy eyes when I told them that I would, um, for instance, maybe sound insane, but every single interview that I lined up after graduating, I just stalked the the shit out of the people. <laughs> I I went through all of their developers, all of their designers the CTOs, et cetera, et cetera. And I figured out, okay, what is their GitHub? What is the Twitter? What do they think? Have they written blog posts? Do I agree with them, disagree with them? Can I talk about that during the interview? Do, um, is there any open source project that... It's funny because a lot of people spend time talking about how candidates for a job should have stuff on their GitHub. They don't spend time thinking, do I have something interesting on my GitHub? Because on my GitHub account. So if you're a programmer, for instance and you're the CTO of the company and your name is public and I know that you're going to interview me, if I see that you have the most ridiculously boring stuff on, on GitHub, I, it gives me a point of view instantly. I know that you're coming. It's like stuff like that. And of course, many of the people in the room hadn't been so vicious <laughs> in their research as I had because I'm just like that. It's just I'm, I love knowing about people. I'm really interested in what people think so on twitter for instance are you swearing or are you polite i don't know it's important it tells me maybe something about your company especially if your influence on the company is important that might mean that my loud mouth may not be welcome <laughs> you know things like that anyway um so i wrote this blog post called teach to learn and teach to learn is about exactly what it sounds even though it might be confusing when you see when you see the, this name um, and it's this idea that to remember how valuable your knowledge is, just like the time machine idea that we talked about before, go teach it to someone. Go find a student, a student, <laughs> go find a, a student in Stuttgart and uh, teach that student, not necessarily teach anything to that student, just sit down with that student, um, um, whether they're in high school or college or they're going through like a professional degree training, a boot camp. Uh, an open source project even and just sit and pair with them and just either watch them work and ask them ask them question about what they're doing why they're doing it a certain way look at their setup look at the steps they take they take to just get started and i'm not even talking about programming i'm talking about open a computer up and and just start working just that phase between press power and look at how they start working you will be amazed by the number of things that you know they don't. And I was about to, when you were getting started on this, I was going to say that they would pick up a lot from you that isn't just your knowledge. Exactly. And you just went directly in that direction because, like, flip that around and, and they would you. watch you turn on your computer and see what you do. And, like, they're they're going to pick up on stuff that isn't the actual code or design or knowledge or, or whatever it is. They're going to pick up on your workflow or setup or things they're going to ask questions about that like even mm -hmm. I, I feel like um so i use sublime text oh you do i, I, I don't do. remember if we talked about that i don't we, we probably have i don't mm. know but every I time i watch somebody else at happy cog use sublime text <laughs> like if, if i go look over someone's shoulder to like work on a problem or do something and every single time i do it no matter who it is no matter how long they've been using sublime text no matter what project it is or what language it is Mm -hmm. They do something crazy with mm -hmm. Sublime Text, and I'm like, whoa, 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 go back. Slow down. What did you just push? Like, what button was that? And what oh, are you God, doing with that? It's my favorite feeling in the world. 
But every time, like, have you ever watched somebody use Sublime Text and not have that happen? No. Never I've never happened. had it happen. And I don't know how anyone's ever going to know everything that Sublime Text can do. Right. No one will ever know that, but it's amazing <laughs> to, to Someone watch right now and... is taking notes and saying, challenge accepted. Yeah, right, exactly. But, I mean, like, the the stuff that you do in your text editor of choice, the little mm-hmm. key commands, yep. you take for granted. Like, that's just yeah. a... Yeah, a yeah. memory, uh, muscle memory kind of reaction. When you need to get to the next thing, you're going to select it, do it's command arrows, do this, that, and your fingers are flying everywhere. You don't even think about it. Mm-hmm. So you yep. see someone else do it, and you see them hit, like, command B, K, and it's this crazy claw maneuver, but it does mm-hmm. this really cool thing <laughs> that <laughs> you've claw. never seen before. And I, I feel like that's yeah. such a that's such a minor example of this, but I feel like it's so true because you could have used Sublime Text for years and still not discovered that one feature. Well, I'm glad you said that, Anthony, because I have for the last, uh, what, four years? I think we started using Sublime Text at school together when it was a beta. It was like Sublime Text 2 beta or something like that. And I've been using it for so long. And just in the last, what, three months, I've been pairing with new developers on our internal team, so uh, Katie and Morgan. And both of them through not necessarily them specifically sometimes they've taught me things and sometimes we've discovered things together we were like we were both frustrated by something and just decided to look it up we've both we both learned more in those three months i think pairing with with uh just a fresh set of eyes than i have i guess in the last year and a half because i just got lazy i had my setup and i was used to it and it was easy, and I knew how to do it. So I just, I just rested my on my laurels for a while. Yeah, and I stopped learning a bunch of stuff, and it was sad. But it's nice to, to get that tick now. that like, yeah, gets you out of it. I don't know. I, I think one of the things, like being a beginner, we're kind of rambling about all this. I don't really know what no. our point is at this point, but I feel like it's interesting to me or you. Well, we have a point. But again, have faith back in the to point. our meaning over complexity. What do I care? Mm-hmm. Like somebody can hit pause right now. I don't really care that much. It's fine. <laughs> Forty nine other people will be listening or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, as I've referenced, I've been a I've been thrust back into beginner stage by learning iOS development. Yeah, and I feel like that was a I, I started learning it as at a time when I've I began feeling expertise on the web. Mm-hmm. So I was thrust back into like being a total beginner with not much to hold on to, other than basic programming structures, which is a lot. Right, but. Uh, you know, doesn't the iOS world like is entirely different. And, it doesn't feel like that. Yeah. And what I kind of discovered was like this, the syntax and all that, that kind of stuff that becomes second nature to pick up. That's really easy to find and that's really easy to research and that's really easy to, to pick up if you've had a lot of experience programming other other places. But the thing that's impossible to find, especially in the iOS community, is best practices. And best practices are the hardest thing to pick up on your own learning something new that you really do need, you know, whether it's a mentor or just somebody that you can bounce questions off of to say, what's the best way that I can do X or Y? And how do you do it if you were going to implement a dynamic type with a custom font? And, like, you need somebody there who you can bounce that stuff off of because it's impossible yes. to find best practices or, or anything like that. Um you know, but through like, your normal Stack Overflow questions or anything like that. They're like the claw you described when you talked about the the keyboard command. Because sometimes they're just so arcane or they're just so... I don't know. It's it's really hard to describe them. But they're just... 
they're almost muscle memory to people. No, I, I, I mean that's that's true, because then I've I've shown, uh, I go to a, an iOS meetup here in Philadelphia, like one the Philadelphia chapter of Cocoa Heads, which is iOS Mac focused meetup. Um, Do you drink cocoa? Have I asked that last time? You I didn't ask that, but okay. we may or may not. Oh please, I declined to comment. <laughs> um, but I showed somebody from there who I've been getting, you know, more knowing better over the times that I go there and just have talked to them a bunch and they are really good at what they do. I am still a beginner. I've told them that. So I showed them some of my code when we were hanging out, you know, a month or two ago of how I use, like I just said, dynamic type of the custom font mm-hmm. and how I've built this cool subclass that handles it and all this kind of stuff. And I thought it was clever but i i was pretty sure it wasn't the best practice way to do that right and they were like huh that's pretty cool i've never even tried to do dynamic type of the custom oh. so this is but if i did this seems like the way i would do it and i was like oh my god yeah i was like has nobody established best practices in this realm of things because everyone seems to answer that about anything i ask is right. well i really haven't done that yet but if i if i did maybe this is the way i would do it yes and then and well there's a double whammy there it's like wow so it's validation in a sense. Right. They're, they're telling you, yeah, this seems sensible. I mean, I would do it this way. And in a way, it's like a, it's like there's some negative, as you said, because you're like, well, that's maybe you should kind of like, we should do this, have <laughs> a rule for this, because this is not that complex and it seems pretty straightforward. I feel like th- that makes it, but they, more importantly, the sharing is not going to get you bitten every time. Every time you share your code and you show someone the way you work, I, th- I think that maybe your mission with this damn podcast is just like to get people to share the way they work, to talk about it, to write about it, to screencast about it, to make whole presentations where they say, well, this is the way at Happy Car, at Go School, at Etsy, at wherever. And I like that, by the way, like the people at Etsy have the, their engineering blog, for instance, where yep. they talk about problems like this. And it's fascinating, as you said, because you realize... I don't really so. I don't. The tools that Etsy uses aren't not, are not probably going to be the tools that I'm going to use because they have a different stack and it's fine. But the way they solve problems, the way they think, the way they reason about things is exactly what I want to know. Just for people's sake and for craft's sake, just to understand how they go about it. Right, because it's not like at a certain point the content of what we're of our work. Like that's that's a constant thing that we're always going to want to learn, but how people work becomes so much more interesting once you have a certain level of expertise over the content. Like when you, I, I guess that's maybe the shift that we are in right now, like ourselves. Like the first few years when you're getting into into the industry or something, you're really focused on learning content and best practices and stuff. But once you once you become comfortable with the control you have over the tools you start shifting into okay well i understand what i'm doing but i want to know how the people i consider experts do it mm-hmm. and that's like a i feel like that's a very important shift that people make as they become experts in things is that you still care about the content of you know you still care about looking up the technical content and syntax but you you become infinitely more interested in the fact that people work different ways and people have different techniques and people's thought process is different and approach is different and I have something to learn from that. Or even more importantly, if it is different from your process, why is it different? Right. 
Right, right. And what can I learn from that different right. process? Right. And the thing that I just I just put this in the show notes as well is that Apple has created a blog for Swift. Mm-hmm. Yep. They're they're blogging about creating Swift. That's crazy. Which, well, that's crazy. No, it's, it's not. It's crazy but. on everything that Apple has a blog. <laughs> First of all, when? on Apple.com. Yes. They are blogging about creating a new programming language that will be one of the m- most widely used programming languages in a few years. Mm-hmm. It's just like there's a lot of cool angles to that. And it's not mm-hmm. necessarily like I'm going to read this blog because I care about exactly what the Swift syntax is. Though I do, that's not <laughs> why I'll be reading this blog. Yeah. Like, I'll read the documentation for that. I want to look at how they are building this and the approach they have building this because it's going to teach me something about how I should write the language or how I should approach programming problems. Well, there was a, it was a, a very, well, I'm using an example here, but there was a, an issue recently with the, ex, not the executor, why am I saying this? Like, I have my own jargon <laughs> in my brain, but uh, with the interpreter, uh, there was a problem. I think they identified, someone, somebody identified and reproduced with the way a very simple assignment of a variable or something like that happened and they hadn't taken it into account. And and it was very encouraging for me as a somewhat of an outsider to see that apparently the team, if you can find that, that would be amazing. Like the team at Apple or at the Swift team at Apple had figured out, okay, oh yeah, the, there's a, a slight design flaw. We can fix that. And within weeks they fixed it. There was a new build. Is that the array one? I think it might be a, an array assignment of some of some sort. I can't remember. I can't put my my finger on it. But basically, yeah, they there was there was a reproducible. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the array. You're right. I think where you, 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 you could can you make could it mutate, an immutable you, copy or a mutable that's copy it. and all that. Exactly. Right, so there's there's uh, the, the var allows you to make a variable and let allows you to make a mutable constant. Variable? No, a constant. Right. Let is constant. Var is variable. Which kind of sort of uh, makes sense. Uh, in other languages, it would be const, not let. Right. Yeah, I okay. wish. <laughs> Don't you wish? Don't get me started. <laughs> I got to write funk instead of function. Uh, yeah, so anyway, the um, so this happened, and this, this person very reasonably reproduced the error. Um, it showed a path of reproduction, and then they, they realized, oh, wow, yeah, uh, we want the mutable array to be mutable, and the mutable and the non-mutable array to not be mutable. Apparently, the, the immutable array was mutable. That was the big problem, which they fixed. And to me, beyond just the process of building the language, the fact that they've iterated so fast on that is very encouraging because I'm very con- uh, I'm more and more connected to the way Ruby is being developed, which is also a fascinating endeavor. Um, oh, that's something I should link to as well. So um, there's something called bugs.rubylang.org, which is I mean even you actually would would find get a kick out of that. There's uh, there's an issue tracker. There's like the stuff that the Ruby core team cares about. Even better, there's an agenda. There's uh, a calendar there. See, that's how you say that. Uh, there's a calendar <laughs> there with when exactly, what day of the week, which is mind-blowing to me. What day of the week they're going to task, basically look at hash fetch performance issues. So basically fetch is how you can take uh, what week, I talk about jargon, a hash, which is a dictionary or an associative array, and fetch a value from it. Fetch is cool because it allows us to set a default. This is why Ruby... One of the amazing amazing things about Ruby is that you can fetch a value from a hash. If the value doesn't exist, you can set a default value by passing a second argument to fetch. 
Anyway, that should perf- definitely be the intro of the show. Right? I know. I Just love because that of the jargon, you would have that, and then you talking about jargon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, let's try to do that. But anyway, you can see the calendar, so you can see this whole thing, like when what person on the team is supposed to look at this. So you can even see status open, assignee Kenta Murata. Like you can see who on the core team is assigned to this. You see the roadmap, and even even better in the wiki. You can see, and this is what um, Terrence Lee, a friend of mine who's working at Heroku right now, um, goes to these meetings or like uh, Skypes into these meetings or Skype or Hangout, whatever, and tries to make summaries of all the core team meetings and says, okay, this is what's going on. This is what they're they're curious about. And this is how they're um, reacting to the community's best practices or the methods that they use and stuff like that. And it's surprisingly easy to actually influence this by showing great example use cases so the swift would be the great like this this person showed a reproducible problem and it was fixed and they benefited everybody it's like the, for me one of the one of the best examples of what an open not necessarily not necessarily open source but at least an open community can do when you have a feedback cycle like that um, i don't know how this relates to not having any idea what you're doing but this I, stuff I feel is, like it does in a way. It does in a way, yeah. But I think because the no idea what I'm doing thing is you only say that if you're completely closed-lipped about what you're doing. Like right. I if you look back at last week's show we put those links in from Brent Simmons again. Right. Where he had three posts in a day where it was like how do he, I how do I do a thing? Yeah, he didn't know. Figured out how no to idea. do a thing, not doing that thing. <laughs> he had no idea what he was doing, but exactly. it didn't manifest as no idea what I'm doing. It manifested as, here's a problem I'm trying to figure out. Help me. And that's that's only semantically different. Like, it's the same situation, but being open about your workflow or your mindset or your decision-making or process and all that kind of stuff, like, that, that is... In, like, that is way more helpful to the community at large than just saying... I have no idea what I'm doing. Teach me like Mm -hmm. he's exposing a bit of his mindset, opening it up to other people to give. like, it's just, it's just a much different way to go about things. And it's much more helpful because somebody's going to stumble upon that in the future and see how his brain got through that. And they're, they're probably not going to make the same decision he made, Mm -hmm. but they're going to understand why he made that decision so that, you know, they can take that in and figure out what's best for them. Yeah. And I guess it's the fact that what we do is not a zero-sum game. You know, like, me giving up my quote-unquote secrets of how I work, like, there are no secrets. Because if I give up, like, the way I write a JavaScript object or anything like that, that's not going to lose work for me in the future. But yet people think that. People make themselves believe that. Well, you do at the the beginning until you realize that it doesn't really matter. And really what you want to do is share how you work so that... Everybody shares how they work so that you can learn more. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's just all about being open and like honest with your work. Because I could have, like I was saying, I showed a piece of my probably crappy Objective C code mm-hmm. to you know these guys that have been building amazing iOS apps. It's like two two guys that I met at Cocoa Heads. I could have easily been embarrassed by my crappy code and that I you know I didn't. I'm not an expert like they are in Objective-C. I could be embarrassed by that and not show them and never have heard from them 
you know, I haven't done that yet, but if I did, that's probably the way I would do it. And that's like, that's worse for everybody because now I don't know if what I'm doing is like something I should continue, you know, from having that, but having that perspective from the expert side says that it's not a bad idea. I haven't done it, but that seems pretty cool. So like, that's helpful for me and them. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, have I, a, I feel I have like this perfect... whole podcast has no idea what I'm doing, but. Yeah, but I love this because I have a perfect, while you we were finishing this thought, I found Elise Holiday's um, notes for her talk. And I love it because they're so appropriate and there's a, a treasure trove of links there. So the first thing that you'll, the first link you'll see in the show notes, <laughs> they'll be like this, th- these notes, uh, no one knows what they're doing basically. Um, and one of the, basically the introduction of her talk, she talks about the three types of knowledge and I want to finish on that. So, and she said that verbatim on stage. Uh, and it was, it's, it was perfect because I love to swear. And I think there are moments where swearing is very important and the best possible way to convey meaning. And this is what, what I mean by that. So imagine a pie chart. And there's one tiny slice of that pie chart. I'd say a, a 30th or a 50th of that pie chart is green and says, shit, you know. There's one tenth of that pie chart and it's blue and it's shit, you know, you don't know. And then there's the gigantic mega big version of the rest of the pie chart, which is red and basically comprises about 90% of the pie chart. And it is shit you don't know you don't know and there's a note under the pie chart that says this chart is not to scale the red slice is unimaginably large exactly <laughs> it is the size of the universe it's exactly what the scale of that pie I love chart this is. chart this is great it's so great and and this is great because now it starts a conversation about <laughs> to quote a famous american <clears throat> politician the unknown unknowns <laughs> And and it is funny and ridiculous when he says it because, you know, he's a politician and, of course, everything he says must be stupid if you disagree with him. But it so happens that what he said was actually somewhat sensible in that when you don't know what you don't know, you're pretty much fucked. If you start learning to discover the things you don't know, which is a horrible midway step that doesn't feel comfortable at all because you feel like an idiot way more than you did when you were completely ignorant then you're on the path to learning. This is when you actually start on the path to wisdom, education, et cetera, et cetera. So I kind of want to like be, let people go through this stuff because we're almost like in our perfect magical, you know, hour long show yeah. format. And it's been, it's been fantastic. Like it's, it's just every time I feel like we somehow connect this shit together in some amazing. I just, um, I love this pie chart. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess what I was getting at I just want to end like, on that. Though. Can well, I just, I want to finish the show on, I love this pie chart. <laughs> I'm just saying like the fact that I said, it's not a zero sum game. Mm-hmm. Like if everybody shared knowledge, you can chip away at the red slice a lot easier than if you tried to just grow your little shit, you know, green slice all the way around. Right. Because if there's you... shit, the shit, you know, you don't know are other people's shit, you know. Exactly. So if you like put Even better. together, you could chip away at your red shit. You know, you don't know, you don't know. I, this <laughs> it's is not confusing at all. We should but, have I cut mean, this off a couple seconds. No, no, ago. it's completely <laughs> fine because I have a good finish. Uh, I have a good finish for this. Other people shit, you know. Uh, other people shit, you know, is nice. Is 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 nice to know, but it's also very useful to have other people who know what they don't know and are aware of it and can tell you. Okay, you know what? Don't worry about that just now. 
it's it's fine. It's okay. I don't know either. And I say that so many times when I'm onboarding people, or when I'm talking to students, or when they ask me, uh, should I learn about uh, finite automata? Should I know about you know finite state machines and stuff? You know what? No, because they suck and you shouldn't use them anyway. So how about you focus on like this one thing first and we'll get to that. There's plenty of time for that. Um, and so this, I would like to finish on this and you can completely bounce on it all, all you want. Basically... Share your goddamn pie. 